0: One ringy dingy. Hand off to Griffin. Tracks the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State. Oh, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plate. I'm interested to know, Gracie. Who's your choice? Need you ask, George. Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here, with all his skips, scratches, and pops, is my dad, Frank Vaccarello.
1: Thanks, sweetie. And thank you for tuning into episode 20 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. My dad's collection is filled with Dixieland jazz. You've already heard a couple in previous episodes. This album has an all-star cast that was pulled together in the wee hours of the morning, but they definitely were not ready to stop swinging yet. So get ready to put on your all-night dancing shoes for volume 20, Golden Era of Dixieland Jazz. mm That is Muskrat Ramble, written by Kid Ori in 1926. It was first recorded on February 26, 1926 by Louis Armstrong and his Hot Five. Okay, why this album? My dad wore this album out. I even took it for a spin a few dozen times if I remember correctly. But when you hear the happy music that is Dixieland, you'll understand why my dad loved the music so much. You can't but feel happy when it's playing. And it's got a great variety of Dixieland hits, played by some pretty talented musicians. And so many of the songs on this record were previously recorded by some of the biggest names in the business. Of the Blues written in 1926 by Ray Henderson. All right, let's talk about the album we have chosen for this episode. Claude Hopkins, Pee Wee Irwin, Vic Dickinson, Buster Bailey, Milt Hinton, and George Wetling. The Golden Era of Dixieland Jazz, 1887 to 1937. It was released on the Design Records label, number DLP38. It is a mono-vinyl LP, released in 1957. It's of the jazz genre, and the style is Dixieland. Now, this album was recorded in New York in 1957. There is no information about the date, the studio, and the names of the recording engineers and producer. But there are liner notes written by the producer to help us understand how this record came together. Get ready for sheer delight. Here is happy music. Even when you're listening to the blues themes, you can't help but feel that this is a music played by men who know and feel their art. This album was conceived and recorded during those hours that immediately precede the dawn. I was sitting in Child's Restaurant just off Broadway in Manhattan one morning at about 3.30. Two friends and I were arguing some moot point about the old Duke Ellington band. Suddenly, one of them said, quote, There's the man who can settle this, Claude Hopkins, unquote. I'd never met Claude, but I knew his work from the old Cotton Club days, and I knew that his background in Dixieland jazz was as fine as any in the business. Claude sat down with us, and sure enough, he knew the answers, and then some. He regaled us with stories about the races he and Ellington used to have in their 30-mile-an-hour hot rods, stories of the greats and near-greats from New Orleans, KC, Chicago, and New York. He painted a picture of Harlem when jazz was becoming the language of the low and the lordly. I asked Claude, who he thought were among the finest sidemen around today, and he came up with a Lulu of a list. On drums, there is no one who can drive a band like George Wetling. Recognized as America's finest jazz drummer, Wetling makes music on the skins. On trumpet, either Bobby Hackett or Pee-wee Irwin. Pee-wee appears here. At the time, Bobby had his own group at New York's Henry Hudson Hotel. Personally, I prefer Pee-wee's sound for Dixieland. It has all of the mellow tones that your ear likes to hear, plus the mirth and joy of a touch of brilliance. On trombone, glum, sad-faced Vic Dickerson. Vic gets that old-fashioned slush bucket sound and no man alive today can gargle a vibrato into his instrument with any more raucous virility. Buster Bailey on clarinet. Listen to the mellowness that Buster achieves. A real, honest, woody tone. On bass, for my money, America's finest Dixieland bassman, Milt Hinton. Listen to him get pretty music and a firm, slapping sound when he takes off in Saints. You've got to jump. You'll have to smile. And if you can picture Milt slapping away with a cigar droop from the corner of his mouth, a big happy grin on his face, and all the music in the world coming out of that doghouse fiddle, you'll have a picture of a true Dixieland scene. Finally, Claude mentioned a group of fine Dixieland pianists. The guy's too modest. Natch, we used Claude. He set up the session. We went over the tunes. It was simple. I wanted basic Dixieland, easy to understand, easy to listen to, and primarily music that was indicative of the golden era of this great standard bearer of American music. The years between the heyday of Storyville in New Orleans and the Goodman era. That's the music we recorded. The session took place at 4 in the morning, after the boys came off their regular jobs. They were loose, happy, and ready, and the music indicates their mood. I'm glad we got these sessions down on tape. I'm glad that you're getting to hear them. I can't bring myself to believe that you'll ever hear any better Dixieland. And you ain't kidding. I love the music on this album. All right, let's talk about the value of the album. Discogs had it listed at $4 all the way across the board. That's highest, lowest, and median. eBay had several copies in the $13 range, and Amazon... Are you ready for this? Had several in the $5 range. Yeah, they came in pretty much the lowest. Now, my dad's album I have listed as poor condition. The cover is very poor condition, which usually means he listened to it a lot. The top and the bottom are connected using his famous black electrical tape. I thought the record itself was in pretty good shape, so I'll give that a fair. But it would probably be one of those albums I'd toss in a box at a at a garage sale for a buck. Okay, we're going to get barbecue a little later, but first, let's spread out a little marmalade. Parmalade. Did you hear just a little of the Charleston in there? That was written in 1918 by Larry Shields and Henry Ragus of the original Dixieland Jazz Band. Now let's run down the band members on this session again. On bass, Milt Hinton. Clarinet, Buster Bailey. Drums, George Wetling trombone Vic Dickinson, trumpet Pee Wee Irwin, piano and leader Claude Hopkins. And it was Hopkins who helped put this group together, so we will make him our feature bio. Claude Drisket Hopkins was born in Alexandria, Virginia, August 24, 1903. He was an American jazz stride pianist and bandleader who led one of the most popular big bands to come out of Harlem in the 1930s. Hopkins graduated from Howard University in Washington, where his parents were on the faculty, and came to New York as a member of Wilbert Sweatman's band in 1924. The following year, he went to Europe as musical director for the singer Josephine Baker, leading a band that included Sidney Bechet, the saxophonist and clarinetist. After he returned to the United States, he took over a band in 1930, led by Charlie Skeets at the Coconut Grove in Harlem, and for the next six years, while playing at the Savoy Ballroom, Roseland, and the Cotton Club, it became one of the country's top black bands. His bands included the clarinetist Edmund Hall, the trombonist Vic Dickinson, trumpeter Yabo Smith and the singers Orlando Robertson and Ovi Altson. His band made many records in the 1930s. The best known was his theme, I Would Do Anything For You, which Hopkins wrote. He broke up the band in 1940 and used his arranging talents working for several non-jazz band leaders. And for CBS in 1948-49, he left a novelty band briefly but took a jazz band into the Cafe Society in 1950. From 1951 until his death, he remained in New York City, working mostly as a sideman with other Dixieland bands at festivals, New York clubs, and recordings. He died February 19, 1984, at Parkview Nursing Home in Riverdale, which is in the Bronx. So, let's hear that song he co-wrote. best piano work on this album i would do anything for you written in 1932 by alex hill claude hopkins and rob williams time now for this episode's interesting side note now i've mentioned before that when the saints go marching in is my dad's favorite song which is why i use it as the show's theme song but when i looked up who wrote it this is what i found When the Saints Go Marching In, often referred to as simply the Saints, is a black spiritual. Though it originated as a Christian hymn, it is often played by jazz bands. This song was famously recorded on May 13, 1938 by Louis Armstrong and his orchestra. The song is sometimes confused with a similarly titled composition, When the Saints Are Marching In, from 1896 by Catherine Purvix, who wrote the lyrics, and James Milton Black, who wrote the music. The origins of this song are unclear. It apparently evolved in the early 1900s from a number of similarly titled gospel songs, including When the Saints Are Marching. Marching In, 19, or 1896, and When the Saints March In for Crowning, 1908. The first known recorded version was in 1923 by the Paramount Jubilee Singers on Paramount 12073, although the title given on the label is When All the Saints Come Marching In. The group sings the modern lyrics beginning with When the Saints Go Marching In. No author is shown on the label. Several other gospel versions were recorded in the 1920s with slightly varying titles but using the same lyrics. The earliest versions were slow and stately. In fact, it was played at funerals. Louis Armstrong's recollection of having played it regularly as a coming-back jazz strain in New Orleans brass band funerals before 1922 tells us that the songs place in New Orleans jazz history predates all recordings. The jazz funeral is where the saints took on its meaning for most New Orleans, by the way. While it is invariably performed as an instrumental on such occasions, the lyrics of the song reveal the spirit of catharsis that moves the second line and explain why it has been adopted as the city's anthem. But as time passed, the recording became more rhythmic, including a distinctly up-tempo version by the sanctified singers on British parlophone in 1931. Even though the song had folk roots, a number of composers claimed copyright for it in later years, including Luther Presley and Virgil Oliver Stamps and R.E. Winsett. It's a jazz standard. It's been recorded by many jazz and pop artists. As with many numbers with long traditional folk use, there is no one official version of the song or its lyrics. This extends so far as confusion to its name with it often being mistakenly called when the saints come marching in. As for the lyrics themselves, their very simplicity makes it easy to generate new verses. So, let's hear one of the best versions of Saints that I've ever heard. (laughs) We'll <laughs> be When the Saints Go Marching In. Okay, so we don't know who wrote it, but we are really glad that this band recorded it. I just loved the music on this episode. Just the way the music was so free-flowing. Nobody was pressing. Whatever gigs these guys had earlier that night only just warmed them up. I think I played the entire album three or four times before I decided on the music that would make this episode. And if you ever get a chance to listen to the rest of this album, please take that opportunity because you will be glad that you did. And now, I think those ribs might have spent enough time on the grill. With some barbecue, written in 1927 by Lil Hardin Armstrong. Yes, Louie's wife. Thanks for tuning into Volume 20, Golden Era of Dixieland Jazz, however you did. You can get all the information you need about this podcast at spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops with volume 21 remember how great go with the flow my friends